The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition podcast. We are coming to you live from the newest studio at the Upright Digital Podcast Studios in Houston, Texas. I am joined as usual with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? I am very well. well I love the new studio. Thank you. This is our first time in this. Yes, it feels very cozy. It is. It's cozy. It's nice. Everything is underneath the stage. The sound should be much better. Uh, the lighting is different than the last studio. So we're remodeling the old studio. It's just, it's uh, things are growing around here. Josh, do I look cuter in this studio? You, you know, I was going to tell you, I look like a bum. You look great today. <laughs> I, I wore this shirt for you on purpose. My Dallas Cowboys were in the playoffs and I, in honor of your uh, Texans questions. Yes. And then absolutely blowing the number one pick. I know. This we year. can't even lose right I, the right way. You, I, I immediately thought of you in a in a truly sincere, sorry way when they blew the number one pick. Yes, was by that, winning their third game, by, by third winning, final game by of the winning, season. Yes. So yes. Well, how was your Christmas and your holiday season? Did you enjoy it? Holidays were great. I had a three and a half year old for nine straight days, including four days on my own. So that was a new experience yeah. that never go anywhere without help that's that's my that's my new mantra but it was a blast Good. A great great time and you same the kid I, I have like the peak children age that are enjoying christmas my daughter very nervous that cole was coming around which is pretty funny to see a kid like is there a chance that i get coal in my stocking and uh, my son is he fills out the christmas list just to make sure like just in case just in case like i'm not screwing this up for anybody here's yes. my list i'm gonna hang it on the fridge my daughter mailed hers if that gives you any idea how there sincere they are yeah yeah but yeah, this is mind. it. 2023. Let's get going. Yeah, I'm excited. Let, let's go. And um, today may be one of our most intense and concise podcasts because our, our guest has stuff to do around town. And so I'm pleased to welcome Alex Tiller, CEO and founder of Carbonvert. And so, Alex, welcome. Thank you. Thank Good you for you, thank you for being nice here. To meet you, Josh. And I as as I was prepping for this discussion, I realized that we've been on quite a run around carbon capture. Mm -hmm. And um, Carbonvert is kind of a first mover. And so we're gonna, we're gonna learn a lot from this discussion with Alex, but, um, but we've been talking about it a lot, but it's also sort of really seen an increase in profitability around the IRA and, and it feels like it's catching a lot of traction. So before we dive into what you do, Alex, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and How'd you wind up sitting in the seat at a carbon capture business? Sure, sure. Thanks, Dan. And um, so, uh, look, I, I grew up in a small town called Springfield, Ohio, uh, kind of the rural edge of town out in the cornfields and soybean fields. 
pretty humble beginnings. My my uh, single parent uh, mom that <coughs> raised me and my brother, and um, uh, but um, you know we left both my brother and I left uh, pretty much right after high school and uh, and headed out into the world. Um, went to school in Boston, uh, undergrad at Northeastern University. And then um, later later in life, I went back and did my MBA at MIT Sloan. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting <coughs> journey. The um, I started my career at Fidelity Investments, uh, and this was during the big- As did I on yeah. the, in the investing business. So. I think I was a few years after yes, you. Yes, I'm a, older, you're younger. I, I think it was 98 for me. Um, Alex so. is throwing bombs immediately here. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, 98 means it was 25 years ago. So right, that's not happening. exactly that. Uh, I, I think we're both showing our age a little bit here. Um, but started my career at Fidelity. Um, it was an interesting time. It was the dot-com boom. Um, everybody was doing dot com this and that, and um, uh, I was fortunate that I got to be in the uh, product development group, and so we were building technology products for the first time, uh, putting brokerage technology on the internet for the first time, and um, that baffles people nowadays, the younger people that are yeah. like, so, so we don't even understand how, how did you ever do it before, mm -hmm. you know, it was a phone call. Well, you or, went to Netscape. and you, you went yeah. to the bank, the bank had, you know, a direct, like, uh, you know, had actual software that, yeah. that wired into the mainframe, right? I mean, it was, uh, it was a unique time and, and really interesting. And um, so Fidelity uh, taught me uh, how to develop uh, business, uh, business lines. And um, I was jealous. I was jealous of all the cool dot-comers that were, um, you know, doing beer pong on their conference tables and had the kegerators and this and that. Fidelity was much more buttoned up and, uh, and corporate. Uh, but after a few years at Fidelity um, in that role and uh, building some pretty cool technology, I ended up going out and doing my own startup. Um, tech startup. It, tech, tech marketing. It was it was a 3D animation company, and it oh. was pretty early. I mean, if you think about it, this it is the two, yeah. 2000 time frame. Yeah. This is there was this inflection where microprocessing power kind of got uh, to a certain point. The software kind of got to a certain point. You could afford to buy machines that could actually uh, render. Um, when I was much younger, I had some aspiration of being uh, an artist. I wasn't a very good one. Mm. But I was a creative, and so I knew a bunch of folks that were really talented artists, and they were showing me this cool technology, and um, and so I had to scratch my itch, and uh, so I started this this company that did 3D animations and visuals and all uh, uh, 3D renderings, um, and so started it in Boston, moved it to Denver. There were four universities graduating animation degrees. Uh, and no jobs in Denver for animators. They all had to move to L.A. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the the hypothesis was that we could uh, pick up talent that wanted the Colorado lifestyle. We could kind of centralize a shop. And we did that. And most of this was around the real estate business. We were doing all these virtual fly-throughs and tours of a bunch of the condo buildings that uh -huh. got built in Miami, right? And they'd try to sell the building out ahead of time. And so I that was my first start. I never really figured out how to scale the business. It was fun. I got my lifestyle business out of it. We had a little putt-putt course through the studio. We, we, we had the green screen. We had the lighting. We were um, 
we were doing really innovative stuff at the time and, and kind of pushing the boundaries. Uh, but after a few years, I, um, I think we call it five years uh, of doing that. I just couldn't figure out how to scale the business. We didn't get into motion pictures. We weren't, uh-huh. we weren't, uh, you know, taking on projects of that size and scale. And um, and that's I just really didn't know anything about that. But I knew how to to, to market and um, and and was able to you know kind of create a, a nice business niche. Ultimately, I moved off of that. Um, uh, sold the company to to the employees. Um, Nothing to write home about, but you know, kind of got out with my Went shirt on for the next chapter. Got, yeah. got out with my shirt on and a bunch of experience, okay. right? And and so that was pretty good. Um, and then you know, because I had grown up in Springfield, Ohio, out in the cornfields and soybean fields, um, uh, and I knew some folks at Fidelity and some other uh, interesting investment folks. Um, I I started working on this uh, investment thesis, which was private equity. Uh, for U.S. farmland. Uh-huh. It was right around the uh, renewable portfolio standard time with ethanol. The The first ethanol boom was really starting mm-hmm. to take off. I thought I knew a lot uh, about um, agriculture and farming from just the way I grew up. I thought I knew a little bit about how fund structures worked and and, and how investments worked. And uh, so started working on this with, uh, with the backing of a, of a pretty big uh, hedge fund guy that um, – um, kind of initially paid for me to explore this concept, put together a business plan, do some research around it, uh, and ultimately delivered the plan. And it was like, you know, 10% return and, and you know, and but, but bomb proof. And, and, you know, we're going to do these cool things with wind and solar and, and renewables that we don't quite understand yet, but we think we can drive additional yield, you know, return from, from these interesting sectors. And um, this is a very successful hedge fund manager guy that uh, said, I don't get out of bed for that, right? Uh-huh. And uh, so he, he essentially said, I don't want to do it, um, but then kind of let me take a run at it and had kind of paid me to put together a business plan. So that was, that was a good deal. So we went out and found a couple other hedge fund guys and started putting uh, together this private equity fund uh, for U.S. farmland on this investment thesis. And, and that was going well. Spent a couple of years. I was out bouncing around the Midwest in a pickup truck, um, half the time thinking about assets to, to, and, and, you know, kind of strategically aligning different assets. Uh, and then also was kind of doing capital raising. We had some capital committed, but not called. We were getting ready to call capital and Lehman Brothers blows up, right? And so just awful timing, it just failure to launch, uh-huh. spent a couple of years on it, um, and and so so but that it led was, you to a great spot because it, it, I think we're going to talk about Hawaii. It did, it did. So so one of the hedge fund guys that uh, that that had um, had been in the second round and backed you know kind of backed me. Um, he 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 was talking to me afterwards and he said, "So what are you going to do now?" And I was like, "I I don't know, but that solar stuff was kind of cool, right?" And and I was really kind of interested in that, and I I might go deep on that. And he and he said, "You know what?" Go look at um, and uh, the, the Hawaii market and some of the fundamentals there, and let me know if you want to do something there. So, you know, kudos to this guy for uh, for taking uh, uh, a lump on one side and and still uh, kind of hanging in there with me. Um, ultimately, ended up moving out to Hawaii. The the fundamentals were right on point. They had the highest cost of power in the country. Um, there was a state and federal tax credit. So there's a federal tax credit like we have now still. 
uh, 30%. Uh, the government, the federal government would pay for it. And the state was layering in a 35% tax credit. So 65% of the cost of the solar system mm-hmm. was covered. This is back then. It, it, that's, that's still not the, that's not the case anymore. But um, with really high power costs, even though solar was expensive, you, we were, we were seeing just amazing return on investment, short term returns. Um, uh, we would be cash on cash on a commercial deal where we could, um, pull all the levers, depreciation and all of that, uh, you know, in four, four years. And these are 20 year assets. Right. And so, so, and highly predictable. And, and so moved out to Hawaii, um, started it with equity and tax equity. And initially the, the concept was start to invest in, you know, originate projects and start to invest in them. And, um, and so that in itself was a little bit tricky. We had this idea that we would go out and work with nonprofits that couldn't take advantage. They didn't have the tax appetite. They Uh didn't, they weren't federal taxpayers or state taxpayers. And so they really weren't getting the benefit, but it would be a church or a school or Red Cross of Hawaii, you know, big well-heeled organizations that own their buildings and their facilities uh, that really probably should be getting lower cost power and green renewable electrons. And so um, so that was the, the kind of initial investment thesis. I partnered with this company um, called Sunetric um, and, and said, look, I'll bring the capital. You guys, uh, you're an EPC, uh, you're a solar de- uh, project developer. They had full construction capabilities and licensing. And, um, and you'll give me some preferred pricing and I'll back your deals and the whole thing. And so we started doing that and it worked really well. And I wasn't out shopping all my deals to every single EPC. Uh, it was like a strategic alliance through and through that really just hit the right point at the right time. They had marketing capabilities with people that it's important to be local there, right? Mm-hmm. I was the new guy. Sure. I was the carpetbagger from Ohio. From Ohio, yeah, yeah. Even and worse, East Coast. Even yeah, with an East Coast right accent, now. right? By then, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so the uh, one thing led to another, and the founder of that company is a guy by the name of Sean Mullen. Um, Sean pretty swiftly said, Hey man, do you want to, uh, maybe take over this company too and see if we can scale it? And we decided we'd try to grow the business and, and ultimately sell it. So we did when we, at the time we were the largest solar company in the state. Uh, we were doing a lot of department of defense, uh, projects, big commercial projects. We we're doing utility scale projects. What time frame is this? Uh, so we sold in 2014. So this is like 98, 99, 99 time frame into 2014. We sold. So, so there was an exit event then. Oh, nine, not, not 99. You mean I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm 09. sorry. That's yeah. right. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> five years, not 15. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes. Five, about a five year. Yeah. yeah. About a five year time frame. So, um, That's a great time. It was, it was fabulous. Yeah. It was, I got to live in Hawaii for a, a, a several years. That's, uh, that's an interesting. Anytime you start talking about Hawaii, people just remember like their honeymoon or their favorite trip, and they just immediately yes. go into this smile, yeah. and they're like, "Wow, right. I would have done that." Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of work. It was. It wasn't all uh, golf and surfing, right. right? It was. It was. It was a lot of work, but we grew the company to be a couple hundred people, which is a you know in Hawaii, you're either work for the gov like some form of the government. Mm-hmm. Or tourism; those are the big those are the big employers, and so to, to develop a you know multi island, um, we had we had to be pretty sophisticated. We had warehouses on different islands. Mm. We had different you know like 
it, 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 there was something to it. So it, and that taught me a lot. So, you know, Fidelity kind of taught me how to develop a product and a, and a project and put a business plan around it. Then I went and did uh, the 3D animation thing and kind of did my own thing. And now, you know, got a, got a chance to, to start to deploy this renewable energy technology and innovate within that space. And, um, and so that's the very long way around of, of how, you know, I got into this category of developing projects um, that are inter, you know, the, the, the core structure of the revenue model, um, has some tax component related to it. And I know a lot of people kind of glaze over when they, he's uh, going to talk about taxes, tax Uh-oh. credits, tax credits, tax credits were, you know, so, so I sold my business. Um, we talked off before you got in here, we were talking <laughs> offline about, you know, what makes a good show. And I said, no, no, tax, we have a guy that loves, he's very passionate about tax and what it does for businesses i said if you start going down you know the trail of all, tax- se- all seven people that listen to the tax <laughs> podcast love it That's right. so we go too deep here we might have to pull the eject yeah. button on tax yeah. but you just raise your hand when but carbon vert so so yeah what is it look at Gridget. we just skipped right through tax fair enough yes we're, we'll come back to tax it is carbon capture we'll and come back to tax. carbon capture uh, storage company right okay. carbon capture sequestration we can call it so ccs and essentially we catch uh co2 coming off of various emissions types everything we do in life has em- co2 emissions related to it your car drive to work but um you know fly an airplane whatever it is but but these big industrial processes uh like we have here in texas where we're petrochemical refining they put out a lot of co2 into the atmosphere and the idea is that we catch it and we move it to a place where there's a storage site, usually by a pipeline, but you can move it by truck, you can move it by rail, there's different ways to do it. Uh, and then you stick it in the ground, deep, deep in the ground into known uh, storage formations, reservoirs, um, where there's a cap rock and it never comes out. And so you continue to do that. We The idea is to build out as much CCS as possible because there's too much CO2 in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and we keep dumping more in there. And so we should we should catch, we should abate, we should stop dumping more and start putting it in the ground. And then there's more advanced kind of versions of that where you start catching CO2 out of thin air and sticking it in the ground. But mm-hmm. the, the in the ground is the really important. It's permanent, durable. It goes away forever. It's basically going back to where it came from. These are all hydrocarbons coming out of the ground that have been stuck there forever. Uh, we go out and find and bring them up, do something to them, and then release the CO, the the carbon dioxide into the air. We're just reversing that and taking it. It's a reverse oil and gas process. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like you're ahead of the game or from from my perspective, having you know talked to a number of folks about different uh, carbon capture technologies and processes and whatnot. So, Talk to us a little bit about, you know, the projects you're working on, the partners you have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your website shows a lot of this, but mm-hmm. it's better to hear it from you. So, you know, you've got some pretty high profile stuff going on. Talk yeah, a little bit about it. Yeah, that. we have uh, two Halo projects and they're kind of like bookends. They're, they're, they're very different from each other. Um, but and then there's a whole bunch of types of projects that we're working on in between as well. But uh, the, the, the one main one is uh, it's called Bayou Bend. And it's a partnership uh, first between Carbonvert and Talos Energy, which is an offshore operator in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, we teamed up 50-50 to respond to an RFP. We knew the state of Texas was 
interested in doing carbon sequestration. They're a big landowner. They have lots of what we call pore space, where there was a good place to put CO2 in the ground forever. And uh, we knew that there was an RFP coming out. They had been talking about it at conferences for almost a decade, mm-hmm. for a very long time. They were doing a lot of research on it, and they were publishing their research. And so we knew this was uh, com- coming forth. And uh, we, so we teamed up and said, you know, uh, Carbonvert's experience is like around tax credit financing and project finance and some of the weird things that go into making the revenue model work on one of these things, just like solar. And uh, and then my partner, Jan Sherman, uh, who founded the company with me, she had just retired from Shell as general manager of carbon capture for Shell North America. So she'd spent 30 years at Shell and she at one point she was the global enhanced oil recovery manager for Shell. So. Um, and that's where a lot of this technology was developed was in EOR, right? And so uh, the capabilities and the know-how, we, we had a pretty unique, and then our, our, the rest of our team had uh, technical experience with real projects. There's only about 30 of these projects in the world, and, and our team uh, that we had put together had uh, direct experience with three of the 30. So like 10% of the market mm-hmm. we could point to and say, yeah, we either helped develop it or operated it and decommissioned it. And, and these are large scale, you know, million ton a year. So uh, Talos partnered with us. We responded to the RFP. Lots of other public companies did. Um, and we, we were in the end awarded uh, what ended up being a 40,000 acre lease. But before we move off, Pesa, the the website is good. It does. So if you if people are interested in it, they can look at uh what is it? Carbonvert.com. Carbonvert.com. Okay. And then there's a bunch of press releases on, on your site that they want. A couple project. Yeah. Project. Right. Uh, yep. That's okay. right. So just, and you mentioned details. Jan as well. The, Jan, the, the team's the team. on there. Yeah. Your yeah. team is unique and it's not, it wasn't what I was expecting. It's not a bunch of renewable people. There's, no. there's a lot more oil and gas involved in there yeah. than I was than I was. Expecting. It's reverse oil and gas. It really, it's a right? lot. <laughs> Jan's a 30-year oil and gas person. Yeah. Retired and then came straight into this. Yeah. This business isn't that old either. It's No, Carbonvert's like two years old. Okay. Like, late I mean, 2020? We, yeah, late okay. 2020. Uh, it was like October, I think, when we filed, you know, got our first EIN number. So we're, we're, we're brand spanking new. I had spent a couple of years studying it. Um, the 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 tax code change. Um, I know I keep going back to this tax code thing, but this is the revenue model that drives it. It's 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 um, uh, there's something called 45Q where the government, uh, the U.S. government, basically came out and said, "We'll pay you fifty dollars a ton to put CO2 in the ground. You got to figure out the rest. You got to capture it. You got to transport it. You got to store it. You got to get the lease. You got to do all the engineering. You got to do all the stuff related to it. But there's a fifty dollar bounty per ton." And that's since been raised to eighty-five dollars a ton um, with the IRA. With the IRA, mm-hmm. but you know that was revolutionary when that there there was a pre-existing forty-five um, Q that was like ten dollars and twenty dollars. It's like ten dollars if you did EOR and twenty dollars if you did pure storage, and that just wasn't enough money to make projects work. When they hit fifty dollars a ton for storage, um, that was enough to make to make projects work. And so, um, yeah, it it. it activated an entire industry. So 50 to 85 really supercharged things. It did. It did. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, we're pouring gas on, on an existing fire. There there was an opportunity to do some stuff at 50 and now the government has just come in and Mm -hmm. and said like, we want to go hard and fast with this. Game changer. So it's all, so the concept is get carbon out of the atmosphere and the government's supporting this by this 45Q tax credit that you're talking about. That's right. Um, 
which has gone from 50 to 85. So maybe, and I want to come back to Bayou Bend because we haven't talked about Chevron yet, and that's another partner that you have. And, and so yeah. you've, you've accumulated some pretty big names in a pretty short period of time as partners, which is impressive. But so take us through 85 bucks mm-hmm. per ton of CO2. Um, how's that getting, is, is that all your revenue? Where does the money go? Cause you're going to have costs associated with it too. Cause you talked about capture, you talked about transport. How's yeah. it all getting divided up? Well, that's, I mean, that's really the challenge, right? And so you have emitters, you have industrial processes that you have to build capture on their facilities and they have to be willing and, and active partners and they probably don't want to lose money doing it. They might not need to, um, make a huge return because hopefully they can sell their decarbonized commodity product for a higher value or recognize that, uh, through some other, uh, some additional value in the market. Um, so, so I th- but I think that's important, right? The, <clears throat> the emitters, the reason they're emitting is because the normal equipment that they have on site today has CO2 as an emission and it goes into the atmosphere. It's, it's not considered in, uh, a pollutant, right? In, right. in, in the U.S. right now. So it's yeah. not regulated like NOx and SOx. You're only allowed, you know, you get your your uh, EPA kind of air permits and CO2 right now is free and fine to dump into right. the atmosphere. And so technically this becomes a, a cost. Uh, if there's, you know, if, if you think about no 45Q, no $85 from, from the U.S. government, um, there is a cost. There is going to be a cost to build a bunch of equipment, engineer it, build it, operate it. Which could cost tens of millions of dollars. Could cost a billion dollars. Right? Okay. There's a very famous uh, CCS project here um, in in the Houston area that attaches to a portion of a coal-fired power plant. It's a project called Petronova. And, uh, uh, you know, that project only catching about uh, I think it was a million tons a year off of a coal plant that does like three or four million tons a year uh, was like a billion dollar investment. Yeah. Now, those costs are going to come down over time and so forth. And it was really innovative at the time. And, you know, the, those Science guys projects always cost more. But it, it, but but these, you know, the fundamental it's not like it's going to be like solar where you saw 90 percent jo- drop in in hard costs in fixed equipment. That's what we've seen over the past decade in the renewable energy business. Um, there were things that you were able to to scale. Technology could get better. You could amplify through through manufacturing. You're going to get some increases, but you're not going to get a 90% drop mm-hmm. in, in in capture costs. Yep. So of the $85, we we're going to have to capture, and you know that that plant may cost a billion dollars. Then you, depending on where you are, and this is just the the way the cards fall, like the way the chips fall, um, you may be sitting directly on a great storage site where you can go straight down into the ground and you have almost zero transportation costs. Cool. Um, or you may be hundreds of miles away from a good storage site. And so there's a, a very famous, there's two famous projects right now in the Midwest where they're connecting ethanol plants that are very far apart from each other. Uh, and the storage is also disparately kind of spread out. And so they're building these like 2,000 mile pipelines to to move this to join and gather the CO2 and take it all to centralized storage. So, so and summit and summit navigator. and navigator. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so you know that's really the two ends of the spectrum, right? And so so that cost can be great or that cost can be almost nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the storage cost, which 
what does that cost? Well, it depends on what it costs you to lease the land, to drill the well, and and, and to operate the, the, you know, the site, and how much insurance. People are very concerned. The number one question we get is, what happens if it leaks, right? And so we have to, not only do we do the geomechanics around it and engineer around it and do do this uh, really interesting subsurface work to make sure that happens, uh, that that doesn't happen. But you also have to put things like insurance products on it and so forth so that, you know, in the event that there's a leak, you have these are 20, 30, 50 year life assets. You know, governments want to make sure that that project is going to be there. And even if Carbonvert's not around, somebody's there, some policy or bond or whatever it is, is there to pay for plugging, you know, plugging this or fixing this and and, and making whatever that changes. So even even though technically a leak you're leaking something that was going to go anyway. Anyway, but it, it was going to go. You've gotten anyways. paid eighty-five bucks mm-hmm. to make sure it doesn't, and so that's right. So we don't want a Ponzi scheme where we get paid eighty-five bucks and then don't actually sequester. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be that'd that be would, bad. That would be unfortunate, right? Yeah. Um, so we got eighty-five dollars to play with, mm-hmm. and what you're saying is the midstream component can be small or big, depending on zero location. Yeah, uh, the capture piece ethanol you're capturing it anyway other stuff chemical facilities etc got to build new stuff mm-hmm. and then you guys have to make money on our the, investors the have to make side. money you're going to put some leverage on it right so there's going to be a, a, a lender finance. involved mm-hmm. is project finance that that you kind of have to reward all the parties uh, at some level yes. uh, and to create a motivation and and that's ultimately what carbonvert look we're we don't have the deep uh, technical capabilities and staff that our partner Talos does. Chevron has now bought into the deal. They're a great partner, right? They bought 50% of the Bayou Bend project from us. Um, amazing capabilities there, right? Our role... And, and, is, and they did that because... I, I want to get back to your role, but they yeah. did that because they wanted a, they wanted to do a, a decarbonizing project or they want to use it to put their own carbon away? They or? actually don't have a lot of emissions in, in, in the Port Arthur area where okay. we're building this first project. Okay. Um, so they're but, just viewing it as a as an well, energy transition they, initiative. They've made a, tr- a, a tremendous commitment to, to the market to, uh, on the decarbonization front. Okay. They've put $10 billion in a pool that they plan to de- deploy into the categories. Uh-huh. Um, and you're one of the early... And we were projects. one of the earliest, yeah. and and our project is tremendous. I mentioned that there's only like 30 of these projects in the world that are considered large, and they do about a million tons a year or more. Million tons a year is like okay, now you're a big project. Mm. Our project that we're developing does 10 million tons a year. So by order, you know, yeah. factor of 10, uh, the the magnitude of this project is is enormous, and we can do that because we're in the offshore environment. Okay. Because we won this big lease with the state of Texas, 40,380 40, acres. acres, something like that. Um, and, and, and so, and, and we're, you know, the project is sited within 30, uh, 30 mile radius of like 35 million tons a year of, of CO2 emissions. So we know it's like target rich. There's a bunch of uh, emitters in the area, 35 million tons a year of emissions, and we can handle about a third. Uh-huh. Um, and, and we actually think we can scale that site over time and grow it. It doesn't just go 30 years and turn off that you can actually develop. We would have to get, you know, expand the, the footprint of the site. But, yeah. Um, but my, my impression of your business is that it's more than just being someone who owns 40,000 acres offshore and 
you know, stands there and says, bring it, bring in the truck, boys. Right. Um, so talk to us a little well, bit think, about the overall business model. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, and, and we've got this question a lot where people are like, I, don't, I just don't understand how is Carbonvert, this tiny startup that right. didn't exist two years ago, that now we just hit 10 people. Uh, but, you know, that we doubled in size in the last 12 months to get to 10. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, how did you guys get this project, these partners, the whole thing? And, and you know, one, part of it is that we have great technical, look at our team, look at our really unique kind of capabilities. Uh, but we're also, we're kind of the, um, either the, you can call us the glue or the lubricant, right? We're, we come in and help kind of commercialize the deal. We find the opportunities early on. These big companies, they, they, they have great capabilities, but it's it's hard for them to be innovative and creative and nimble and dynamic. I you mean, know? can I kind of answer that sure. from from just an outsider's perspective, looking at this? Their their website. When I was doing some research, your your website feels like you guys understand the situation. It doesn't feel like you understand one part of it. And I actually go That's back right. to your Hawaii experience, the EPC. Yeah. As an EPC, you have to understand a lot of different supply chain, manufacturing, construction, you know, people, there's a lot of moving parts in an EPC. That's right. Engineering, procurement, construction, right? And anybody in the Houston area is going to understand what the Jacobs and the oil and gas EPC companies Mm -hmm. look like. And that's a lot of moving parts in that world. And to me, when I saw that on the experience, that, that helped me understand how you put together this team so quickly. And when you look at the website, what all you're doing, again, I'm, I'm not, your, your guest we've just met, but sure. it, it feels like you guys understand the complexity of the tax. See, I'll talk tax for just a yeah, second. Uh, yeah. But I mean, if you can understand that. tax. That's as deep as I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, is am I right in to say that you guys have your hands around the issue? And I don't, I'm not trying to pump you up in this, but it feels like that's what I'm looking at while you're growing so quickly. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I mean, we went into a big uh, global company that um, was, was not proceeding with their capture project on their on their emissions because their tax department we keep saying tax had shut it down and said hey we're not a federal taxpayer we're not like we're, we can't fund this right and there so there's like like there's all these little parts that you have to really deeply understand so we went in and we taught them how uh, how you know partnership flip tax tax uh, structures work uh-huh. and how we could bring capital to the project and basically and the tax department called the engineering department and said okay we're, we're good to mm-hmm. like keep like proceed start, proceed start working on this start, start doing the work and so um these are weird disciplines right there's there's uh, class six permits there's only a handful of issued class six permits that's the disposal co2 disposal permit there's only a handful of those in the world that have ever been issued it used to be a class five now it's called a class six our, our VP of storage helped the DOE develop the class six permit and has been on multiple class six permitting processes. Right. And, and so it's that level of really understanding all the friction points within a project opportunity. And then, and then having kind of this commercial ability to be nimble and fast, move fairly light footed. Some, some companies are worried about the reputational risk. What if we go after it and we lose it? What if we go after it and then, you know, uh, some something it gets bad press. Like so, there's reasons. There's kind of barriers to entry that um, that all we're really trying to do is put carbon in the ground, mm-hmm. fast, cheap, safe. That's it. And and so um, I th- I think that and we don't want to we don't want to compete with these guys. We don't, we I don't want to I don't want to rebuild. Uh, you don't a, want to compete with these guys. The the, the various um, the the various stakeholders that make a successful project work. Okay. Uh, you know, Chevron, 
Talos, I don't need to replicate what they are. Mm -hmm. I can bring my skills and, and, mm -hmm. and, and my team and they can bring their skills and their team and we can break loose these projects and make them come to life. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm an emitter, I'm a 2 million tons a year mm -hmm. manufacturing facility of some sort on the Gulf Coast. Um, and, and do you come in and say, we can do it all for you? We'll oversee the capture facility construction all the way to the injection? Mm -hmm. Or do they say, wait a second, I really only want your pore space. I mean, is it an a la carte thing or is it a la holistic? Carte. What's it need? It, it, it really is what's it need. Some folks have said, hey, we're in the gas business, right? We handle gas for a living. <laughs> we, we have our own capture tech. We have our own this and that. We actually just want to turn it over at the fence line. We want you to take it away and we never want to hear about it again. Yep. Right. Um, and we need you to know that you'll do that in a safe, secure way. And that's great. And so in that case, we may be trans, you know, we're transport and storage. We're going to uh, pick it up and take it away. Um, in other cases, we've got folks that are saying, help me decarbonize my portfolio. Here's all my assets around the U.S. How can we, you know, where do we start? How do we do it? What does it cost? And we're able to help with that. You know, we are project developers, so we come in with capital and expertise, and we invest in the project. We don't have to own 100% of it. Um, we're happy to own our piece of it, right, and, and, and deliver our piece. The, the Chevron uh, Talos Carbonvert Partnership, uh, we now own 25%. Um, and that's primarily a transport and storage project. It's really not capture. If somebody in that area asked us to help with capture. By, this is Bayou Bend. Bayou Bend. We'd be so happy to help. Chevron, 25 Talos, 25 you. That's right. Okay. That's right. It's a big percentage. It's a big percentage. For a two-year-old company with it's those a, it, players. It is. Okay. And, it is. and Alex, you say you bring, you bring capital. Mm -hmm. So that's sitting on your balance sheet or that's access to project finance people or it's the experience you know, you're taking your solar knowledge and bringing it to, to right. carbon capture? So you can do it a couple of ways. I mean, we raised a small round of capital <coughs> when we started the company. Um, and and then, you know, fortunately, we, we have, we've already sold down a piece of one of our assets. And mm -hmm. so that puts some, some real uh, kind of um, balance sheet. You know, it gave, it gave us some, some capital on our own balance sheet. So we do have our own money that we can go and invest. These projects are very expensive. They can be hundreds of millions of dollars, uh -huh. um, if not billions of dollars for capture. And so, um, you know, that is kind of an ongoing in my project finance background, um, you know, lining up appropriate capital partners and being able to kind of tap the right capital for the right project, um, the, the right financing when it's required is, uh -huh. is something that we also spend a lot of time doing. And there's uh -huh. a lot of capital out there. There's a whole bunch of energy transition funds that used to be an oil and gas fund. They had to kind of pivot and, and rebrand themselves and repackage themselves. And, and so there is there is equity in the market uh, it's, it's, it, um, that has an interest in coming to these, these types of projects yeah. and, and so, companies. So you don't see capital availability as a big hurdle there. Folks who want hey, to put knock on this. wood or whatever this yeah. is made out of the, um, Right now, uh, this is a good good market to mm -hmm. be in, and I know there's uh, headwinds in other markets, and we got the tailwind right, right now. So. so we're excellent. We're talking like there's 50 projects underway in the U.S. There aren't right, and and I looking unless something changed in the last six hours on your website, you haven't talked about any customers yet. Yeah. Um, what's the? How do you think about the timeline here? When are folks gonna? break free and actually sign you up. Yeah. And then when they do, 
when do they start putting molecules in the ground? Uh, we anticipate it soon. We're having a number of conversations with emitters. Um, I, I'm hesitant to, to name a date, but my sense is whenever the first one drops, then it'll be a fear of missing out, right? The FOMO, because there's a limited capacity right. on the initial spec, which is 10 million tons a are, year. Are we calling these people emitters? It, it, it's a little bit lazy on our part, but yeah. Customers. They're, they're customers. Yeah. customers they, we valued call, customers. We shouldn't call them emitters. It's funny. Uh, we were talking to some of the direct air capture guys the other day, and I called them an emitter, and they were like, I'm not an emitter. Yeah. I capture it. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right, but it's it, it's lazy. Apologies. <laughs> yes. Carbon generators Car- or yeah. carbon yeah. Yeah. owners. They're, they're, they're different entities that have control of CO2 okay. that, that <laughs> may want to. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Just trying to clarify what we're yeah. talking about. Thank there. you. Thank you. So there's some there's some building momentum that absolutely that are gonna... we we are it's not like we're uh, waking up uh, after a, a big investment years down the road and saying oh now we got to figure out customers we're working on it uh, but customers want to see progress um, they need to kind of organize their own capital internally they need to make sure that they're. Their boards and their various investment committees need to have confidence that the project's going to go forward. And so there's a little bit of a chicken and an egg. Mm-hmm. And so what we've been able to do initially is, is just go out and invest in it and, and lead with our capital and lead with our partner's capital. Um, and so so we're doing that. But, in, uh, yeah, we're definitely okay. having, having so, conversations. So somebody signs up. Mm-hmm. How long does it take to get molecules in the ground? So right now we think that um, there, so there's a, a big question mark hangs on the class six permit process. Um, we think we're pretty good at doing class six permits uh, with our experience on our team. Uh, but that said, there's permitted a le- by the EPA. EPA that's right. Um, that can take a couple of years is kind of the, the current thinking on that, uh, although they're kind of getting backlogged with these uh, these opportunities right now. But what, um, you know, what there, there's things that lead up to it. Like we actually have to go out and drill a, a test well um, to grab some of the core data to, to include in our EPA Class 6 filing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's difficult right now to get an offshore uh, rig. rig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So jackup rigs are in short supply, uh, have been kind of, ra- you know, mothballed and then raided for parts. And so you're, you've got a, a limited fleet out there, and so that's actually setting some pacing. That's uh-huh. that's uh, it's it's the way it's the way the world works, right? When you when you take on the first offshore project, uh, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. find out all kinds of stuff like this. That's I mean that's a great example of the you know the one dollar part that yeah, holding can't up. can't fix something that can't go into this that can't do the that. Chip. Yes, exactly, that's exactly. Right. That's right. Um, that's right. So suffice it to say. Even with a customer, it's a 25, 20, it's 20 it, we, We've publicly, our, our partnership has talked about uh, late 2025. Yep. And, you know, depending on the permitting and and rig availability, it could slide. Could be later. It could slide into 2026. Yeah. I don't I don't anticipate it sliding past right. 2026 at this point. There's Okay. So now I'm going to say the word tax. Dun, dun, tax. Um, so 45Q, which is 85 bucks a ton is a tax credit it is a tax and credit. so um are these tradable easily easily turned into money do they come over time yeah give us the layman's version of 45q and and 
I know we haven't done one in carbon capture yet, but yeah. I assume it's coming. So there are actually one or two projects there that, are. Have, traded, okay. that okay. have traded some ta- that have monetized tax credits okay. is what I should should call it. And again, just while you're getting into this, their website does a great job explaining this just to the people that want more information. Yeah. So Excellent. keep okay. going there. But yeah. Um, historically, tax credits could not be sold. You had to enter into these partnership structures um, where you had uh, somebody with a lot of federal tax liability would come in and invest money and then get the tax benefits back. And it was very convoluted. And that's basically what I've been doing for the last 15 years. It's a complex business that, that makes the world go around in solar and wind. The IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, has changed the rules significantly uh, around what you're able to do. You're now able. We couldn't even call it selling them. Like we couldn't shorthand that because it would get you know picked it would foul up. Things and, up. Yeah. yeah, and and you know the uh, so so now you can sell tax credits. Now you can transfer tax credits. You can do all kinds of different things that never existed before. Um, there's still an uh, incumbent in- industry around tax credits, tax equity structures, lawyers and accountants and the, and capital, the, raisers, cap- the capital markets and syndicators and all these other things that have existed to date uh, to make this thing work uh, that I think is changing and it, it is becoming uh, becoming different. But these are oftentimes hundreds. The, a tax equity investor that would be deploying tens of millions, hundreds of millions uh, of dollars. Some of the biggest, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, do billions of dollars a year in tax equity investments. Right? Um, they, you know, th- they're pretty sensitive to not doing whatever is new and untested. Right? And so, so there is going to be this uh, kind of the old style way of doing tax credit monetization through tax equity structures. But I think there's going to be this evolving new, new market. Yep. And we're spending a lot of time on that as well. And so yep. it's 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 hard to talk about. And quite frankly, it's not done yet. Uh, but we think we've come up with a pretty novel model uh, to monetize tax credits, uh, not only for our own projects. We kind of started with what do we need to do to drive down the cost of capital? The absolute, like, how do we be lowest cost, fastest, and most and safest CO2 uh, you know, storage partner out there. Um, and so that requires us to figure out the tax credits uh, piece and, and how it relates to the new rules. And, um, and but then kind of once we unpacked that and, and we, we came up with a structure that we think works uh, and investors will, re- will like and lenders will like, um, then we also realized that, you know, this could be a could novel for way others. for us to participate in other projects. We don't need to build every CCS project. We won't. We can't. We're, that's not what we're here for. We're here to, like, help the industry move forward, and we bring our technical capabilities and we bring our financing capabilities with these strange revenue models. There's also carbon markets that you can stack. So you do tax credits and these carbon offsets as part of your revenue model with this foundation of technical excellence around CCS and permitting and the friction points. That's that's really the the business model that we've kind of landed on, and that's what the market's been responding to. So it's mind-blowing, but what you just described is the government's actually enabling something to be easier than it has been and faster than it has been, although the permitting, and they could still mess it up there, yeah, yeah. but um, it's the IRA has been impressive in that it's actually creating activity. It is, it is doing what it's supposed to do. And I've heard more people talk about 
the IRA as an enabler, yes. you know, yeah. which you typically, you know, what you hear is the government messes things up. I mean, it looks it like it's working. It shows you how serious they are this time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> Alex, are you a net zero guy? We should be there. We, can we get there? What's your big picture on energy transition? Uh, and I, I am incredibly optimistic. It is a, a lot. There's a lot to be done. Um, we're going to have to have you know, so the way some of these rules are written, it's like for 12 years, we'll, we'll create this benefit. There's going to have to be extensions. There's going to have to be more runway because these are long life assets um, and, and big, you know, big projects that take time and, and, and operate for a long time. And they're going to need to do that to have the, uh, the impact that we um, it seems like we've finally come around on that we that we need to have. So I'm optimistic. I think it can happen. Um, but it's going to take a lot. It's it's not just one Bayou Bend. It's yeah. not just. Uh, you know, 10 of these projects, like it, it solves this. There's, there's literally going to have to be hundreds, if not thousands of these projects all yeah. across America and then also around the world. The remind U.S. is leading. What, remind us what the U.S. generates in terms of carbon emissions on a yearly basis. I don't know if I know that often. I forget. I, I forget that I'm one I'm not trying to time. ask Thousands of millions of tons, it's, which goes to your... Yeah, it's, it's a lot. We're not trying to pump up any of your competitors, but are there more people trying to come in and compete with you right now when we're talking about... Sure. The, so this happened in this? solar, right? I mean, w when I went into the solar business, it was you you had to basically solar economically worked in Hawaii and California. The technology worked wherever, but from an economic standpoint, it's a it's a function of the cost of power, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 that offset like cuz you're offsetting normal grid power versus this other other means of delivery. And and where it started to work, and then as as prices came down, you started to open up other markets. You'd start to hit price parity in other places. And like there's now there's a proliferation of solar companies out there. There's more people in this. I mean, back ten years ago when I was doing solar, we outpaced how many people were in the solar business than in the coal business in the U.S. Like that was ten years ago. So now I know like it it it, it it's totally you know. Um, the, that will happen in this business. Mm -hmm. There will be many, many CCS companies. There will be many, many projects, and that's all technically good for us. And so, yeah, you know, as as you as, want the pie to grow, you do. You because what what we're trying to do is really important, mm -hmm. and we can't do it all ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, we want Exxon to I be mean, successful, and we want Chevron to be is. successful, and we want yeah these global players to be become successful, and we want the little guys to be successful, mm -hmm. like. And, and, and ultimately, you know, if, if you can really focus on that and, and find a way to create value, then great. Like, mm -hmm. do, um, are you dependent on any specific technology or, I mean, do, does you have any, are you using anything proprietary or are you using all kind of off the shelf? We are stuff? technology agnostic and that's, you know, a lesson from, from the renewable energy wave, right? There was. Lots of solar company uh, manufacturers that came and, you know, Germany had a big business and then the U.S. had a big business and then China blew them all out by low pricing uh, the modules, which technically was good for the whole world, but it wasn't good for the guy that owns the uh, solar manufacturer right. in Germany or in Ohio, right? And so there's a lot of kind of up and down that, that comes with that. But if you're really trying to create, you know, low carbon, no carbon electrons, then okay, great. Um, we, we saw that where, um, you know, there was, there was plenty of value creation in finding and originating a project and in investing in it and taking it through its life cycle and actually, 
you know, implementing it, turning it on and then selling power. Like there's plenty to be done there without getting too tied up in technology. I'm going to let technology guys do their technology thing, <coughs> let them innovate. There's billions of dollars flowing into that capture side and we'll just pick the best technology for right. the best case. Yeah. Hopefully it gets better and lo lowers in price over time. Want to shift away from CCUS before we do that. Mm -hmm. Have uh, have we covered everything that we should know about kind of CCS projects and what you're doing? And Yeah, we I mean, so we talked a lot about Bayou Bend. The one thing I would say, we've, we've got a lot of other projects out there that we're working that we haven't disclosed. They're, they're not public yet. We do have one other. Uh, we won a, a Department of Energy award. We partnered with a Southern Company, University of Alabama, Air Capture. I'm sure I'm going to forget. So Sergeant Lundy. There's a, a kind of a consortium that we pulled together, um, uh, Battelle. Um, and, and basically, we won a DOE award to go and um, start to study a nuclear power plant to direct air capture to geologic storage. And so that's really like 10 year out thinking, in my opinion, of like direct air capture is sucking it out of thin air and it's very power hungry. And it has to be green electrons or it's just kind of you're not stupid. You're not accomplishing it. Yeah, it doesn't yep. do anything. And it requires a lot of heat and power plant like nuclear power plants throw off a lot of green electrons and a lot of heat. And so there's this like, how do we optimize? How What would this actually 10 year out kind of look like? And so, and you know, from what what we're working on, it's the biggest first offshore large scale storage project in the Americas, all the way out to 10 year out nuke to DAC mm -hmm. to storage. And um, and so we're, we're not trying to do it all, but we're doing other projects in between and we're kind of creating these partnerships and alliances with big global companies in some cases and sometimes it's small regional companies but if that if creating those partnerships leads to more velocity and 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 the higher probability of a project and co2 going in the ground then we get involved right yeah um i said we were moving away but <laughs> you you have a lot going on you talked about being a small company uh in, in a capital intensive business yeah you know are we going to see you out raising more money for Carbon vert in the mm -hmm. next little while to sort of keep pace with all these things. Yes, it is highly likely that okay. uh, carbon vert will be out raising more capital. Stay tuned. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so your this is your fourth business uh, as you talk through mm -hmm. the things that you've done. Yeah. Um, so for our I, list, I, I had some losers in between that I don't talk about. Just okay, to be, just, so to, maybe be, just your, to be fair. Maybe it's your they, sixth they don't business. all win. <laughs> maybe it's his sixth business. But exactly. You've clearly gone from an idea to deploying capital to, to hiring people yep. a bunch of times. That's true. So for the listeners that are entrepreneurs thinking about trying to grow and start a business, what do you tell them? What's, what are your pieces of sage wisdom? It takes a lot of risk and you just kind of got to jump off the cliff. Like I, I've, I've met folks that are like, eh, I'm doing this on my nights and weekends and that's great for a start. But at some point you just, yeah. you can't, nights and weekend it and yeah, actually yeah. launch you got to make that commitment where you're like i'm not going to get paid for maybe six months 12 months whatever it is or you got to go get hurt. friends families and fools to to throw mm -hmm. it whatever you got to do to get that initial pool of capital and you got to go show that commitment um in order to probably raise that capital right mm -hmm. um and so i it's it's not that it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying you just got to go do it and you got, and potentially take a couple of stingers. Uh -huh. It's a, okay. it's un, it's the unfortunate truth. It hurts, but yeah. 
but you learn but you learn and yeah that is and get great partners yeah well we're we're jumping straight to the lightning round because we're we're running we're hitting time okay okay Okay. we're going close to the atmosphere perfect Uh, before we before we do that carbonvert.com carbonvert.com perfect carbon v-e-r-t.com perfect and by the way, you two both look great. You, Dan was on CNBC today. He's in a suit. And <laughs> I asked him amazing. when he got here, I said, have you ever done a podcast? He says, no, I've done radio and television. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So we're going to take a picture and we'll be on YouTube. You guys both just look great. So <laughs> congratulations. It's the lighting. Yeah. <laughs> it's the lighting, Josh. So I, we have to do this before you leave. This is my okay. favorite thing we do. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I just like seeing I've, I've Dan's been face prepped. on a couple of these. So. Yes. I've been prepped. Yeah. All right. You ready? I'll start us off here, Dan. Okay. Um, where are we at here? Um, all right. This is, this first one's not even fair. These are single word, short answers. You're not allowed to expand. One word answers. Ready? Okay. Uh, Massachusetts or Hawaii? Hawaii. That was uh, the most yeah. the most obvious answer of all time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Avatar or Raiders of the Lost Ark? Avatar. Cash or crypto? Cash. Twenty twenty three S and P five five hundred. Are you bullish or bearish? Uh, I'm I'm bearish. F one fifty gas, F one fifty lightning, lightning. Uh, I'm asking a serious questions this yeah. time. Does the Ukraine conflict continue into 2024? Yes. That's that sucks. Um, yeah, you're giving pizza or sushi. Pizza. Classical or jazz? Classical. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just, That's a tough. Neither. Yeah. yeah I, to- honestly, I, I don't. I can't say I listen to either. Of those. Yeah. <laughs> work from the office or work from home. Uh, work from office or a hotel lobby. That's what I tend to do now. <laughs> your, your new office. <laughs> yeah. Um, the IRA was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see another one like it here in the U.S. in the next three years? Like another increase? Yeah. No. Attack on. No. World Cup or March Madness? March Madness. My favorite question, basically your your invitation to come back hinges right. on the answer Friendship. to this question. Yes, this is okay. Will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade? Not a chance. <laughs> no invite. No invite. I'm sorry. No, you know, you, again, we'll definitely invite you back because one, you're a great guest. Two, you have a lot to, to educate us about and you'll have a lot of progress. And so we'll do this again in 12 or 18 months. But Alex Tiller, founder of Carbonvert, CEO of Carbonvert, and a good guy. Thank you for coming by today. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate Appreciate it. it.